and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Joining me is former Austrian World Cup superstar, Marcel Mappis, and the voice of ski racing, Mr. Nick Fellows. We're going to talk about the weekend's action. Men finally had their speed skis on in Val d'Isere, whilst the women battled tricky conditions over in Courchevel racing double GS. Nick, let's kick off with you. How are you? Very good, thank you. Good. Pleasure to be back with you. Yeah, well, thank and you for coming back. Crackerjack little podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. Excellent. Um, what do you think about the weekend's racing? I think it's, first and foremost, I think it's important that we say it is great to see ski racing beating COVID. It would have been yes. very easy for us to say, do you know what, this is just too much hassle and we'll wait till next winter. And of course, because we've taken it on to get the World Cup rolling, I don't very often say this, but congratulations to the FIS, <laughs> well done, um, for getting us. And then of course, Mother Nature brought us to uh, beautiful resorts, Val d'Isere for the men, Courchevel for the women, few peace issues in Courchevel but I also like the fact that due to the Covid calendar that we've developed because of the pandemic we're now taking advantage of these Mondays as a backup day if it goes wrong but I think there's been some fabulous stories perhaps from my point of view as a TV guy some amazing pictures for ski racing this weekend. Yeah we talked about it in one of the early pods about how when we had Marcus Waldner on he was saying you know this is not a COVID calendar now, this is the calendar. And the t from a TV perspective, there's no reason why this shouldn't look top quality, no issues from sort of the TV side of things. So it needs to look and sound like ski racing. So I think it's... Uh, yeah, I think also that. as well, it's important from a business perspective because where sport in general is panicking is that the companies like Audi, who are the big sponsor for World Cup skiing, if they do not get their TV exposure, they have every right to pull out mm. of those contracts. And I think for the FIS to be able to keep their sponsors happy hopefully means that the World Cup tour will be safe yeah. for years to come when we've all had the vaccine and some normality uh, return. So I'm very chuffed for Waldner in particular because he's a great guy, but for the FIS keeping not just ski racing, ski jumping, Nordics, yeah. all, snowboard freestyle, all of those sports going, it's only on the TV, the crowds, not this winter I don't think, um, but it means the future of winter sport is safe for the long term and that's key. Obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Marcel? I agree with you guys. I mean, I'm from Austria, so the main source of income is skiing, and we need to have those pictures on TV, right? Um, Absolutely. We would all struggle back at home if there wouldn't be any ski racing going on, and also for the ski brands like Head, Atomic, like they're all massive brands, and they need to have that exposure. It's a big, it's a big circus, isn't it? It's not just... Yeah. The guys racing. I mean, 60 you, you have like I don't know if you have sixty races, you have like five hundred people in the back at least, and then you have another five thousand people at home who are reliant on ski racing. So I mean, it's just crucial to have it going on. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, like Nick said, we missed. They missed Sunday's race. They took a brilliant call. Turns out that they should move the race from Sunday to today, Monday, and we did get we got picture postcard conditions and I think we got the story that we were all hoping for so we got uh, Michaela Schifrin an incredibly emotional day for her but she's back where we expect to see her want to see hope to see uh, at the top of the table 
yeah, for me, I want to see. I'm a huge Michaela Schifrin fan. And if this is the stepping stone to getting the Michaela of old back on the Women's World Cup Tour, then it was a very special day indeed. We've all gone through the story of her emotional nightmare with uh, the very sad story of her father passing away at a crucial point in last season. Then she made the uh, very emotional journey back to Europe to try and finish off the tour. And then, boom, the COVID pandemic shuts the World Cup down six to eight races early. Then she, by the time she gets back on the tour, she doesn't do Solden because she's tweaked her back. We all tweak our backs as ski racers. And then she finally gets to Courchevel. And the pressure is immense. Yeah. And she takes the fourth in day one. But the win today, it, it's brilliant. I think I've seen a ski better, to be honest. Yep. But it's a win is a win. You, who cares? You know, points, prize money. And I think this could open the floodgates to Michaela getting back to where she has been. And of course, she equals the record of 67 victories with the great, and for me, the legendary Marcel Hirscher. So great stories and yep. congratulations, Miss Schifrin. He might have to start a comeback now, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> another, that's another story. Oh, just pull in the pin. Pull in the pin. Two minutes in and you're going for it. Um, I hope that's true. But uh, Schifrin, for sure, skied better. But she did what she needed to do. Uh, and we're so used to the cameras on her, whether she's first, last, putting her boots on, going into the restaurant, you know, wherever she is on inspection, the cameras are on her, so she's got not only the pressure from herself uh, and the, the situation, but also the external pressure that the world waits to see what Michaela Schifrin's going to do and how she's going to come back from this tragedy. And yeah, hopefully that's it. And that's, you know, she yeah. she can get on with ski racing. She's answered the question that she's she's back and she's put an emotional few understandable sort of tweets and, and Instagram messages out there that she's... You know, there's some people think that she thought that she would never get back and, and she's back and she's on the top and she deserved her win today. Brunoni was second. She had a few issues on the second run. Uh, Vlahova didn't finish the first run. Bassino had a few issues on the, on that second run as well. But ski racing, ski racing, you've got to be in it to win it. And Michaela Schifrin stands deservedly on the top of the table. So, yeah. I think also what's very interesting is when Michaela brings her A game to the piste, it has a psychological effect on the others. Petra Vlahova been on the podium in every race since the start of the season until she starts to see Schifrin find the top gear. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Brinoni's on her arse and back up again. Yeah. Superb skills, great recoveries. But I believe that pressure, Bassino, all of a sudden, doesn't look indestructible. Wins the first giant slalom, thinking, wow, yeah. this is the new Deborah Compagnoni here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Schifrin plays the ace and says, hang on a minute, girls. I'm you still know, here. I'm still here. <laughs> and I loved her comments that you played to me earlier, Ed, where she's given her doubters a bit of a hard time because I like that attitude of Schifrin. Um, she is different. She is the special one yeah. of women's World Cup ski racing. And she needs to keep that fire in her belly because she makes the women's tour very cool. Yeah, she, I mean, she's had that, she has that fire and she's had that fire throughout her career. I remember a couple of seasons ago when, I think she was second or third and the interviewer asked her at the bottom, you know, what happened today? You know, you're third or, or second or whatever she was, not on, not winning. And she went, well, that's really disrespectful to the other, uh, to the other girls on yeah. tour. Yeah. They're talented ski racers. I can't just put my skis on and win. So, you know, I like that little bit of chirp, that little bit of uh, fire that makes her, you know, it's probably one of the reasons what makes her so good. 
I think she's a great sportsman, isn't she? Like, she would never put anyone down. Yeah. She's always like, the other girls are training really hard as well. Mm -hmm. But I still want to win. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, she always wants to win. And I, you saw that today, right? So everyone makes a mistake, really hard conditions. She skis just her thing down. She probably knew the girls made a mistake. She knew just ski 90% maybe. That's yeah. good enough. Just didn't, make, didn't need to make a mistake. Didn't need to yeah. make a mistake. And she won. Yeah. To me, Marcel, you would know this. Uh, it, it's almost as if she's coming back from an injury. She doesn't look as strong, she doesn't look as confident, but it's coming very, very quickly. And you're an athlete, you came back yeah. from a big injury to the top league in World Cup. It's tough. Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, you you have standstill for a year or two, right? And you, you, you maybe train, but it's not the same as like being in on the start, at the start. And I think it takes a bit of time to get back into it. And I mean, usually you say a season, first season after injury is always the trickiest one. And here we go, five races and she won and she had another podium already. So, <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt that she is going to be on the top flight on every race, basically, I would assume. Another little shout out, Tessa Worley back on the podium. Lovely to see, isn't it? I think the person that would have been most ben. pleased would have been <laughs> Ben Clark. He would have been the most pleased that Tessa Worley is back if he stuck to his tried and tested strategy when it comes to the predictions league. Normally, giant style of Tessa Worley all the way. He picks Tessa for day one, and she she's uh, mid-table. Mid doesn't pick her today. <laughs> she gets Lucky for back. Tessa, so she won because he didn't pick her. Yeah, so, no, Ben, I think the message is you're not allowed to pick Tessa Worley anymore, otherwise she's going to hunt you down because she wants <laughs> some more podiums. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, it, she actually skied really well. I was super impressed, especially the top half of the run. She was putting some of the best turns of the race down, uh, littered with a few too many mistakes to really sort of start challenging for the win, but she her, some of that skiing was I thought was excellent. She, no, I mean I mean she is young. She's a world champion. She's she's got more medals and trophies in the cabinet back home than most. But I think for Wally, she's so committed with her skiing. She gives herself uh, very little room for error. Mm -hmm. So when it's all on rails and it's flowing all nicely, it is beautiful. She's lovely to watch, and the way she links her turns. But then if there's a slight bit of error, it's as if she goes, oh, I didn't expect that. You can't deal, can't deal with the, the, the sort of having to think on her feet almost, having to like adapt. Yeah, her speed of recovery. If I was the coach, I'd be working on her speed of recovery. Um, and it, it's almost as if, it's a bit like Bodhi. He's always looking for that perfect turn. She's always looking for the perfect run. But ski racing ain't about perfect from top to bottom. It's about how quick you recover and deal with mm. that situation when it's upon you. And I think for, for Tessa, she's got so many miles under the skis. Beautiful lady, great race head on her shoulders. It's just a little bit more broadening of the skill set when it goes wrong it's not the end of the world. It's Recover quickly yeah. and salvage. Yeah. Um, and, we, and we saw that today in the women's giants line. I thought, uh, I, I'm pleased that she's back. I think it's, it's only good to you know, warden, uh, broaden the spectrum. Um, the Italians look like they're here to stay. Yeah, well, good. At last, really. I mean, you know, they've got such strength and depth, the Italian women. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're great skiers. But I'm a, I like the way Bassino uh, turns her skis. Um, and I like Brinone, yeah. who... It's just fearless. I mean, you know, you, she can have the downhill boards on on Monday and the slalom boards on on Tuesday, and she ain't afraid of anything or anybody. It's lovely. Did um, I, what I the thing I one of the things I really like about Bassino is that she breaks stereotypes of athlete shapes and sizes. Oh, that's good work because she's relatively slight. She's 
re relatively, she's not the tallest on tour, she's not the biggest on tour, but she's got a beautiful touch on the skis. She's a great role model to girls around the world, whether you're you know, a, a nipper at sort of seven or eight years old, worrying that you're not as big as so-and-so who's been beating you, or, you know, or, or whether you're a World Cup superstar. That's, it doesn't matter if, as long as you've got a good skill set. And Marcel is the advocate of that, you know, sitting next to one of Austria's best giant slalom racers. He's not the big powerhouse. No, he's very small. He's, <laughs> he's very weedy. He probably used to be a bit bigger back I, in the I, day. I, I, but I used what, to be a bit bigger. <laughs> but what Mr. Mattis used to have is that very light, quick touch. And uh, Bassino, obviously a, a very intelligent lady, has figured it out. She's seen Petra Vlahova come back even bigger this season. Mm. I mean, Petra Vlahova looks... She is, she is huge. Yeah. Not in like a offensive way but she is so powerful and that's just her skiing right she doesn't necessarily have like a lovely touch but she has like a very precise way of skiing yeah. she doesn't make any mistakes except for today um and she's it's very rare that she does she does like yeah. she's literally left right turn always the same just it's it's like it's trained right so some people are naturally talented like Pazino, fine touch great skier and then some skiers are like trained and, and she, I think, is more trained than Basino, which is not a bad thing, but she, there, she's very powerful. <laughs> yeah, she's great. And I think Basinos they learn, well, the coaches yeah. see your... Place your strengths. Right? Exactly. And, and I think Basino, very similar to, to Marcel, become light, quick, use your advantages, um, rather than you know you're not the powerhouse. Yeah. So therefore, I come to the game with this tactic, yeah. rather than the powerhouse tactic of... Uh, Petra Vlahova and Livio Magoni, who's a former racer himself, who knows all about... He was a little guy, quick slalom skier back in the 80s, and he's seen one of my trump cards for Vlahova is power, and the Italians have seen it is touch. ski touch that will help the little ladies like Bassino. Um, and on, on to and victory for Bassino on that first race, the first giant slalom back on Saturday. Uh, Vlahova was leading first run, a little bit of a falter, a few too many sort of small errors, a couple of heavy edges, a couple of uh, times she was bounced out of the line into third. Sarah Hector back on the podium yeah. after six years away. That's a lovely story, isn't it, really? Yeah. Good to see Sarah. She's a, lo she's a lovely lady. And, uh, and obviously the Swedes have had a tough time. Coaches testing positive for COVID. Mm. Uh, athletes not sure whether they should or shouldn't. It's a huge debate in Scandinavia, Norway as well as Sweden, whether their cross-country athletes should come to the tour. Um, it's a tough time. So I was delighted for Sara. It's always good for an athlete away for six years to get back in there. Um, and what it means is that we have a World Cup tour. There are athletes from all different countries that can take podium positions and what that does for us as the viewers it just raises the level yeah. of competition and makes it more exciting so it was it was a good couple of days in Korsula. yeah tough conditions there that first day <sighs> yeah you've yeah. been wiping goggles on the way down yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just to be able to see what's going on i think it's also good to see that someone that hasn't been on a podium for six years is coming back with a podium that, still got the fire that shows like young athletes don't give up on it if even if you can't be anywhere close to the podium for six years you fight through, and that's what she did. I think she's always been... Yeah, that's great. She had always that fire inside of her. We were, we were talking in the week, Marcel, about one of your friends who was racing for Austria, and he... Did he win the Europa Cup, or was he on the he, podium? He got third, actually, and then World Cup points for him. <coughs> that's... And, he, and he's, 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 he's not, not that team. young, is he? 
No, he's not that young. He's like uh, 28. But he made some Volker points, and I think he was he was really delighted about it. Um, I'm hoping that's like those initial spark that you need to to become more than what it is now. Do you think that the Austrians are sort of moving away from you've got to be good really young, otherwise you're out the door? Or do you think that that's still there and it's somebody that's off the team that's doing it off their own back, that they're just you know making that lead, making that step a bit later? Or do you think the Austrians are now coming around to the fact that there is a different way of doing it other than be good when you're I mean, 19. do you remember the conversation with Wolfie, the Austrian mm. coach? And, and that's what he said as well. Like, you can't waste your talent. If, even if they're, like, 28, you still have to support them in some way. And Magnus, he's training on himself, so he finances the whole season, which is uh, remarkable. But the Austrians, they have to get away from that, that you need to be winning a World Cup in your 19. It's not possible. Mm. Like, nowadays, there might be one or two people being able to do that. But some people need longer, like if they're 25 and they win a European Cup all of a sudden and then they maybe win a World Cup race, who knows? But you still have to support them because they don't have enough races. Pretty simple. I'm, I'm really happy that the sport is shifting that way. Hannes Reichelt in the downhill at Val d'Azur, 40 years of age. Okay, he didn't have a great day in the office. 40 years of age. Mm. Claret, 39 years of age. I think that's healthy. And I think what Marcel's point there is absolutely true. Austria will take anybody who's good at the moment because the pressure is on <laughs> to win races. And how many phone calls have you had, Marcel, exactly. to come back? I'll be calling uh, you back actually, soon. I'm actually still 198 in the world ranks, so maybe I should try and come back. <laughs> exactly. And I, I think that... Um, but with the guys being more successful older. And I think what helps as well is that the quality of competition on the Europa Cup right now is so high. If you can win a Europa Cup, then there's no reason why you can't go top 10 in the World Cup. And that also gives the youngsters that hunger, that yeah. motivation. And back in the day, again, back in the 80s, the Europa Cup, it was pretty easy to get into the yeah. top 15 in the Europa Cup. You went to the World Cup and you went, oh my God, yeah. what is this? But now Europa Cup is only just below World Cup. It really is the breeding ground for the next generation. And it also means the older guys can come through a bit later too. So I think that the sport's in good shape at the moment. And when you've got 39, 40-year-old downhillers on tour, that gives you a much longer time to hit the Austrian yep. A-team. And Austria has got no choice, like all of the big Alpine nations. We'll take them at 19, we'll take them at 29. If they earn World Cup points... You come to the party. Yeah, but is that has that changed since Hirscher? Is that changed? Um, you know, I think is it's that... a bit before Hirscher, to be honest. I mean, I would say Girardelli was the guy who hung on older and later and went from being a slalom and giant slalom skier to a super G and downhill skier and then still kept winning overall titles. So it started to turn in in the 90s and then the Norwegians would allow their athletes to come good at a much later age, and that was sports science. As sports science was developing, and we were getting more and more knowledgeable about the human body and yeah. its performance, the and the Norwegians were at the front, then all of a sudden, Ormot and Lassichus are coming through a lot older and a lot later, mm. and everybody goes, hey, hang on a minute, we gotta do what these guys are doing because they're starting to win everything. Mm. Um, and so, but back in my day, Christian Orlansky, do you remember Christian Orlansky? Yes, I do. Orlansky? He's actually, he's uh, from my area. Yeah. A Everybody rock. seems to be They're all area. from my area. It's not a single person. <laughs> Every single person we're talking about, we're talking picks, Marcel's like, oh yeah, yeah, they're good. They're from my area. Yeah. <laughs> he was the guy that 
develop this. If you haven't won a World Cup by your 19, you're not going to make it. Because he was this wonderkind at 16 years of age. He was electrifying. But they burned him out by the time he was 21. And what a disappointment for so many for Christian Orlansky. But at his time, in his late teens, he was giving Stenmark a run for his money. But also if you look at it, right, so the sport has developed so much over the past years. Like you have all those sports scientists, like you have way better surgeons if you're injured. Like you come back after basically blowing your knee out and you come back six months later. And that's all like help, like Reichel yeah. has like uh, ACL at 39, comes back, skis maybe not as good as he wanted to, but still pretty good. And if you look at other sports, like Björndalen, he won when he was 40. So he like... Marathon runners are in best in mid thirties, and it's like it doesn't say you need to be in your prime when you're twenty. Like that's that's just naturally that it's not the case. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty good for the sport. Yeah. Seeing like Lizaru, I'm excited to watch him. Actually, I saw a video of him on Instagram today. I think he's all fired up, so I'm excited for that. <laughs> Is he forty one? I think he must be over 40 now. <laughs> Putting you to shame. What, what about you? Yeah. Both of you to shame. <laughs> no, there's no chance. There's no chance. Bodies tweak my back getting out of the car. <laughs> uh, shall we move over to the men's race? Let's start off with the Super G, which was originally supposed to be Sunday. They switched it because of the snow conditions. Again, another great call from Fizz. And we managed to get a pretty decent Super G Underway, we saw Maro Kavietzel taking his first ever World Cup win, which seems ridiculous considering he's the Super G globe <laughs> holder. Um, Sarahsted from Norway on the podium for the first time, and uh, Christian Valder also on the podium for the first time. Great ski race. Um, first speed races of the season can always be slightly topsy turvy. Uh, Valdezer's got a bit of a reputation for the sun coming on to the upper part of the racetrack for the later start numbers. We saw that in the two training runs. Um, and for those people who don't, aren't really too familiar with that, boring you with snow science, basically the sun uh, heats the snow crystals, puts a bit of water in them, and it can often turn it quicker uh, rather than slower. So there's a history there, like there is in Val Gardena this weekend. Um, but I think those guys deserve absolutely every part of it. And they've all got stories. Uh, an Achilles heel operation in June for Mauro Cavietzel. So he wasn't expecting anything special. And maybe that's something he can learn because he eased off a little bit. And that gave him such a beautiful oh, so line. Nice. So smooth, so relaxed, made it look so easy. Because in his brain, he didn't think he was out there for the win. He no. was out there in a comeback race from injury. Same for Serestead. And he's a bit of a brute anyway. Yeah, look at the way he skied in the downhill. Yeah, you know, he, got, he got way too carried away. But again, coming back from injury, I'm not going to go full tilt. And what that meant was that they were a little softer on the skis. It's not the toughest of downhills. Val needs a little bit of finesse to ski well there. And I have a, a confession to make. Please don't hold me. I don't really know much about the Austrian lad who came third. But what a result. He, I mean, he, that is... Probably one of his biggest achievements, right? I think he was not on a podium before. I'm no, not first way. podium. Not, not even close. He's actually his girlfriend is Cornelia Hütter, oh, the wow. Austrian ski racer. Yeah. Um, so he's the same age as I am, and he's always been very good, but not on the podium. So I'm I'm really happy for him, and I mean they've had a, a decent a decent result, the Austrians, which is good for them, obviously, because the expectations in downhill and super G is on another level as an Austrian, of because they expect wins. 
Um, so I think the results in general was pretty good for them. And I mean, Mauro Kavietzl, I love him. I yeah, love watching him yeah. skiing because he is such he has such a fine touch always, and yeah, such a fine guy as well. And I, I think it was it was very uh, a good result for all of them. I thought the Austrians got a lo- the line choice wrong. You know where um, in Super G or downhill? In the Super G, mm-hmm. where we saw Kriegmeier make a mistake, we saw Meyer make the same mistake on that turn. It came into shot. It's about halfway down. It came off, and it was where the A net was running alongside you. It must have been about halfway down. It just got low into the into the soft stuff. And uh, yeah, three Austrians did the same mistake. And I wonder whether they just made the wrong call. The snow is a little too soft to run the Tiger line, as we used to call. It. You know, it's too. Yeah. There isn't the base to be able to press the snow, the ski like you would like to, uh, and therefore needed a bit of adjustment and maybe Valdner made that change maybe I'm talking rubbish no no but, uh, <laughs> we, we all know it well the okay piece as well you know it's one of those ones that you I said in the commentary you have to be in, in harmony with this one you know Kitzbühel and Bormio you feel like you're going six rounds with Mike Tyson yeah. <laughs> but in it's not like that it's all very floaty it's all very soft and um, and there's very little room for error because there aren't those super steep pitches. If yeah. I slam them sideways in Kitzbühel, I'm back up to 80 miles an hour in a split second. Yeah. You slam them sideways in Val d'Isere, and, it and you're takes not getting any points. Long time. But also, it was it was only 105, right? It was it was a sure. very short race, so that's yeah. even worse if you make a mistake on a one minute run. Absolutely, yeah. Sorry. Actually, sorry, but I actually thought Pinturov was was skiing and maybe call me biased, but <laughs> I will call you biased. <laughs> but I thought the top part was superb. You can just see his skills. Like yeah. it doesn't matter which discipline it is. Oh, I was surprised that he didn't do any downhill. Me too. Very surprised. And well, you're looking at really tight margins for points and and the overall and all that sort of stuff. And it's that it's not a you know you just said it's not a scary place to go and do downhill. And Kilda comes to the giant slaloms and gives Pantero a run for his money in the giant slaloms. Why isn't Pantero going to the downhills and just just looking at Kilda and say I'm here? Just putting on a bib. I'm here. Just putting on a bib. Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, just to put the heat on. Um, and I was very surprised to be honest. I was disappointed that he didn't start the day. Was I mean, ever on the cards? Did you? Did you, did you I mean, I, I, he was doing the training, right? And he was, I think, tenth in the second run, in the second training run, yeah. which is pretty, pretty impressive. But if you look at the big picture, how many points? Like in Super Cheats, different because he would make thirty-six points now, which is about the same as Kilda made in three uh, GS. Yes. But if you look on the big picture, like doing another downhill, then. He should also train slalom because slalom is going to come up now. Like yeah, it's the energy levels, it's the the training that he needs in other disciplines. So, I think if he wants to win the overall, it's not going through the downhill. It's super G, getting the points in there and then winning GS and winning some slaloms. I think that's the key for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. I would love to see him in a downhill. I think he's he's he doesn't fear anything. He seems to be like on it. We we talk about it all season long. If you're going to win the overall, you're performing in three disciplines. So maybe you focus on three disciplines. Don't try and ski four where or five when you get the alpine combined or the parallels. But you know the core disciplines. Maybe maybe picking up higher points and concentrating on less events. Maybe that's the. Maybe I, that's I mean, I, I, I'm with Marcel here. I'm a huge Pantolo fan. I love the way he skis. I love the way he goes about his work on the mountain, um, and I. I'm being greedy. I'd just like to see more of it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, well, that leads us nicely onto the downhill. Um, uh, that ra- the race. I mean, it's it's not the most exciting, as we've already said, in terms of the piste. But that race, I really enjoyed it. I really yeah. enjoyed the fact that you didn't know who was going to win. It wasn't over when after 
Kilda had come down. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't over when so and so had finished. And it was every single person, a couple of honeys to the right side, a couple of honeys to the wrong side. And we saw Korean Bull back on the podium, uh, which was brilliant. Striedinger um, equaled his best ever result. And uh, Martin Shatter just that. It was that I loved the emotion in the finish area. Yeah. It, uh, that was the best picture. The skiing was beautiful. But for me, the buzz and the feeling that I got from watching him lose his in the finish area was the best bit about it. It it was beautiful. I mean, there was two magical shots from the television. Uh, Mauro Cavietzel hugging his brother Gino Cavietzel after the Super G. Bosjan Klina, your pal, who was the last Slovenian to win uh, a World Cup, Daniel, giving Martin, the winner, this hug and then it's as if he couldn't hold back the tears anymore. And and I, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house no. at that point. It was it was a good ski race and the coaches earned their money because the coaches all the way down the key points on the track are relaying the information that this is getting quicker. This piece is still, this race can still be taken. Mm. And I think it went 14 with Krimbul, 26 Striedinger, and then Martin at 41. And of course, the Slovenian guys, uh, you know, they have to fight for every point on the tour. They're one of the smaller teams, yeah. smaller budget, smaller support. So uh, sadly, I'd come off the air with the uh, Eurosports TV show, <laughs> but I was on the air with the Eurosport app. Yes. Um, so we got him in some uh, shape or form. But to be only the third Slovenian downhiller to win a World Cup race, you can understand why they were so I didn't changed. even realise that stat. I didn't realise it was only yeah. three. It was Yerman, Bostia. Bostian was the Bostia, second yeah. one. Andre Yerman was the first one. And now Martin Schatter the third. It's brilliant. This is, isn't it? Yeah. What a good story. 95 World Cup starts. Takes that um, unbelievable. Too. I mean, those emotions, they must be all over the place right now. But also, what, what I quickly wanted to touch upon is like, what is going on with the Swiss guys? Have you seen Niels Hintermann as well? Yes. Yeah, they was... are on fire. Even though he had that crash, which is probably the worst crash of his life because he would have won, potentially won podiumed. But yeah. the whole team is on fire. Yeah. It doesn't matter which discipline. They are I, on think, it. I think also as well, when we come to the speed events that are coming up this weekend with the women, um, I think you're going to see the same from the Swiss ladies. And what... Urs um, Lehmann, who's the president of the Swiss Ski Federation, said as soon as the pandemic hit, is that they booked themselves, they booked out a hotel in Zermatt, and they booked out half of the race piece on the glacier and said, nobody comes on this. And they immediately said, we're not even going to try to go to South America. We are going to stay here in Zermatt in our own exclusive hotel and work our backsides off. And I think that's why their early yeah. season form, Odomat in the GSs, Cavietzel uh, in the Super G, and I agree with you, all of their young kids yeah. look good yesterday. But they must be loving life because, and as you might know or not, they have always a very strict fight with the Austrians for like the, the nation's title. Yeah. And, oh my God, Lehmann must love it right now. He is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I think, touching back on what you were saying, Nick, about how they basically booked out the whole of Zermatt. Zermatt. Yeah, I kind of... As, as somebody that comes from a smaller nation, that kind of gripes on me a little bit because it's, it's like, tough, tough to everybody else. You can't come and play uh, and we're just going to flex our you know, flex our muscles. And it is racing and that's sport. I know that sort of stuff. But for me, it's like a little bit, 
it just sort of give, it doesn't think, sit quite right that they've just yeah, gone. I mean, they didn't shut the whole mountain. Other teams were allowed to train on there, but the biggest part. Yeah, of the we're taking. We're, the yeah, we're taking the best part. We're yeah. taking the best time. And but the Austrians did it on the Austrian. Yeah, they, yeah, honestly, yeah. like I can talk out of experience here. If they have the chance, of course oh, yeah, they're yeah, gonna do it. Like yeah. the Austrians would would do it within a heartbeat, and the mm-hmm. same the Swiss and the Americans, and like everyone does it. I yeah, mean, they, maybe it's just us that don't get the shot. Yeah, because it's you know, not you got nice. Beaver Creek that the, the guys are on there training absolutely all the time up until you race in Beaver Creek. You get the same with Kitzbühel. You get the same. You know these guys. Americans have this full time downhill training facility in Copper Mountain, Colorado. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And unless you pay to play or you do a deal with the American Ski Federation to maybe vote for something that they want. Yeah, a little back scratcher. A little back scratching and you're in, and that's the game. You it, know, it's the, the same game. also in, in, uh, in uh, South America or in, in New Zealand. Like you will, If you have a good relationship with the people who own the mountain, you'll get a spot. If you don't, you can't go. Mm. And that, it's, like, it's so tricky, but unfortunately for, young, uh, for small nations, it's... Um, that's how it goes. It's very tricky. <laughs> that's why a lot of them train together, right? Because that's the way they can afford it and they yeah. can yeah. get slopes, which yeah. is also good. Yeah, and, I, you know, and it's, it's a big couple of years, you know, if the vaccine gets us back to some kind of normality, let's not forget there's a World Championships in February and then the following winter there's a Winter Olympic Games. So there is a lot at stake here for the big yeah. Alpine nations like Switzerland. I'm quite excited to see how that's going to go in China. Yeah. Olympics. No one has ever been there. Yeah, because they, they pulled the pin, haven't they, already? <laughs> well, that's, and so if I was Martin Shatter's coach, I'd say, OK, if we can do it here, we can do it anywhere from bit number 41. Um, it will really be an open playing field when we, if we get to Beijing for the winter. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder where they get the mountains from. <laughs> well, they, uh, that's Yang what I've King, heard. Yanking is about 200 kilometres from Beijing, Okay. where the skiing is. So it's not really Beijing. <laughs> sort of Beijing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that, that, that will seize us recap the racing nick as it's your first time this series on mm-hmm. the pod got a few questions marcel had a few questions a couple of weeks ago uh, and i've got a few just to help us get to know a bit about you of course um yeah marcel got a bit worried that he wasn't going to know the answer to any questions but they, <laughs> it was about him so <laughs> still didn't know that. <laughs> i know everything about marcel <laughs> <laughs> nick's got nick's got his cards for those of you that don't know nick when he's been doing his commentary, he's got these little, um, what sort of cards do you call them? Cheat sheets. Cheat sheets, yeah. They're yeah. little, they're little sort results. of, um, yeah, bits of paper with every single World Cup that's ever raced and their best results and, you know, a few stats about them. And so, obviously, having Marcel, he's pulled out, he's pulled out all the stats. <laughs> I think this is actually really impressive. And it's, <laughs> yeah, I like that one. It's good. Um, right, Nick, where is your favourite place to ski? Now, that's a great question. And I go through phases every other season one minute i'm in love with this resort one minute i'm in love with that as i get older my favorite resorts tend to be swung by the quality of the food and wine uh, rather than the difficulty of the pistes um so as a ski racer as a british ski racer we all love val d'isere because we had the british championships there for so many years but right now i'm going through an Austrian phase, which is perfect for Marcel. Don't say Lexus. <laughs> no, it's not Lexus. You're okay. Uh, a, f- a friend of mine um, called Armin Futschaller uh, owns a beautiful hotel in Neustift where you go up to the glacier. Uh, and um, so right now, my 
favourite ski resorts are in Austria because I'm going through a phase where I love Austrian wine and Austrian food. Nice. Um, I'm a huge Aspen fan. Um, I'm a huge Salbach fan. So if I had to choose one right now, yeah. because they're hosting the 2025 World Championships, I would say Salbach Hinterglem. I cannot wait to go there again. They've got the food, the wine, the skiing, and they're really cool people that run the race hill there as well. It's a lovely place to ski. Yeah. Lovely place. It's one of the Austrian resorts that's feel, you know that's really well connected. It's, yeah. not, it's not just a little hill here and a little hill. It's a beautiful connected proper resort isn't it and i like it because they take tourism very seriously marcel was touching on it earlier the the world cup is important because it has a knock-on to tourism and tourism is one of the key industries in austria so they take everything seriously hotels restaurants food if you want to go party and do après ski they do it very well <laughs> if you want to go to a quite romantic place with your wife they also do that very well so right now i i think austrians uh, when the going gets tough, they up the standards again. Um, and so, yeah, anybody out there fancies going to sell back into Glen, you will not be disappointed. Good. If you could ski with anyone for a day, who would it be? Well, I've been very lucky because most of my heroes, I've had the privilege of skiing with them. I've, uh, so it would be again, uh, because uh, I have skied with Tomba, great pal of mine, um, Again, stop for a glass of wine on a few occasions. <laughs> more than, more um, than wine. <laughs> when I first started skiing with Salomon, I had the privilege of working and skiing with Ingemar Stenmark, who was also doing some work. They wanted basically a Salomon for Ingemar to build a Macaber ski boot that was a Salomon ski boot. So um, that was a fantastic memory. I've had the pleasure of skiing with Franz Klammer. Um, again, you're always going to stop for a good glass of wine at some point in the proceedings <laughs> with the great man himself. Um, so now, who I haven't skied with and I would love to have a day on the mountain with, it's got to be Marcel Hirscher. I just I could watch him for hours. I wouldn't need to go skiing with him. I'd just sit at the bottom in a chair and send him up and down, up and down, and just watch. I would love... If you're tuning in, Marcel, uh, any time, mate, just pick up the phone. Call me. Call yeah. me. Um, Favourite place to apre? Favourite place to apre? I'm getting old, you know. I won't say how old, but... Uh, you know, I was a racer in the 80s, so <laughs> Apres, slightly different, uh, different thing for me. I have great memories of the Crazy Kangaroo in St. Anton. Um, that was an absolute belter. And it's funny because uh, Mario Matt is now the owner, but it used to be a Norwegian gentleman that used to run the Crazy Kangaroo uh, back in the day. Um, Again, an 80s skier from the British ski team, Dick's T-Bar, we used to oh, yeah. uh, badly behave many a times in uh, Val d'Isère. Um, so those are the top two for me. Dick's okay. T-Bar, still going in Val d'Isère. Crazy Kangaroo, still going strong in September. <laughs> Who is the best ski racer of all time? It's, you know, I'd love to say Marcel, but it's not. It's Ingemar Stenmark. 84 World Cup victories, and we just throw that number out there all the time. If you go back in time and look at some, when he's beating Phil and Steve Mayer by four or five seconds, um, he was amazing. So as a ski racer, Ingemar Stenmark, but as a sportsman come ambassador, then I'm leaning towards Marcel Hirscher because he was a great talker, he was a great motivator, he would inspire young kids. Stenmark was a, a very classic, ice-cold Swedish operator. Very little to say to the press, but he's got to be top of the charts, hasn't he, Ingemar? 
it's, it's hard to look past him. It is. But there's, I think there's quite a few people in that, in that question. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, it's what you like. Tomba, you know, double Olympic champion, all those victories, but he was an entertainer. Mm. And I remember oh, tens of thousands. You'd think you were at a soccer match when you'd see Tomba ski the night race in Schladming. You know, there'd be Italian fans just going tonto. <laughs> but Stenmark is the best ski racer. Fair enough. What is the most memorable moment in ski racing history? The most memorable moment in ski racing history? Something Whoa. just sticks out in your... Um, wow, there are some magical moments in ski racing history. What would be my most memorable? Um, I raced in a ski race with Ingemar Stenmark once and he beat me by 13 seconds on the first run <laughs> and 17 seconds on the second run because they didn't have the top 30 cutoff in those days. So one of my most memorable ski races is being beaten by Ingemar Stenmark by 30 seconds. <laughs> so that is one. And as a kid watching Clamour win in Innsbruck in 76 on the BBC and I lived in Wolverhampton then and looking at Franz Klammer win the downhill in Innsbruck and thinking, now that is cool. That's cooler than soccer. That's cooler than Formula One. I've got, I would really love what to a do piece that. Of that. And I think the way those early guys skied like Klammer, they inspired millions all over. So again, if we've got to pinpoint one magical moment, Klammer, Innsbruck, Olympic Games, 76, downhill gold next one finish this sentence when I'm not skiing you'll find me with a glass of wine good Marcel was sitting on the sofa that's <laughs> <laughs> <It was> true <laughs> um, what's your worst moment on skis um, we were training in Val d'Isere once and we went for a little bit of a free ski and a warm down got caught in a small avalanche that was a, a, a rude awakening, very, very frightening um, and very in sync with this weekend's racing. I was a slalom skier because I came from a dry ski slope in Telford. Um, and one of our coaches at the time had this great idea that I could do the combined and, and that I should be a downhiller as well. And I took a crash off the Columbin which is the big jump at the top on the downhill that they were racing this weekend and landed and bust my cheekbone, <laughs> sat on my ski, cut the top of my backside over and the coach comes up to me and he goes, are you okay? Are you okay? And I went, I don't think I'm going to do any more downhill. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll stick to the slalom. And, and that was a, a rude awakening. How amazing those downhill races are. And, you know, and I was a pretty slick, quick slalom skier, you know, in the... Top 30 start list on the Europa Cup Tour, and you think you can do anything, don't you, at one point in your ski career, but that was a lesson well learned. They did, they did breed them tough, those downhillers in yesteryear, didn't they? Whoa. Pine needles, no, no pieced pieces, yeah. no, nothing but pine needles to show you the way. I, lo I love the YouTube videos of like the old downhillers when they had like wooden fences and like <laughs> yeah. no pieced slopes, like through the trees. Like they, those guys were men, like they were, <laughs> they had like big, big. Well, I'm not going to say what they are, but you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. We do. Um, last question. Yeah. You've got a road trip to the Alps. You've got three spare seats. Who's coming with you? Woo. I'll take my wife because she loves eating and drinking, so I know I've got that part covered. Um, I, I've got two more places left to go. I'd take Mrs. Fellows, um, maybe somebody like you guys, somebody to push us. 
So maybe a Finley Mickle and Ed Drake or a Marcel Mattis because I can sort of see my watch at midday these days and I'm already thinking of lunch. <laughs> and, uh, so if I went with one of you guys, um, I would know that I would at least ski for four or five hours rather. You know, my wife and I, if the weather's not good, we, we'll be... Pulling the pin. We'll be pulling the pin. So I think, yes, Mrs. Fellows, Ed Drake, Marcel Mattis, or a Finley Mickle to make sure that we actually do burn the legs a little. <laughs> nice, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, nice one. Thank you very much. Hey, we've, we've, we've learned that you definitely like eating and drinking when you're skiing. Yeah, you can tell that by my uh, waistline. <laughs> I spent New Year's at the Crazy Kangaroo last year. Oh, my God, that was... Oh, that was very, very boozy. I went down when it was really dark. And you have like the, you know, when you go yeah. off the crazy kangaroo, there's like the last bit where you have to ski, ski down. down into town. Yeah. It's like all full of moogles, and you just, oh my god, it was. And I'm, I would say I'm a, a decent skier, but down there I wasn't anymore. <laughs> it's one of those things. Once this COVID nightmare is over, everybody should go and experience the crazy kangaroo it's at least good. once. It's so good. Like people dancing on the tables, like falling off the tables, having like Jaeger bombs, like they just love it. <laughs> just fully losing their mind. I think that probably brings us on to this coming weekend, or not weekend, because it's like nearly a week's worth of racing. So we have the women are racing Friday and Saturday downhill in Val d'Isere with a Super G on Sunday in Val d'Isere. So they race three times, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The men are racing Friday the 18th in Val Gardena doing Super G. They're doing downhill in Val Gardena on the Saturday. Sunday, they're in Alta Badia racing GS. Monday, they're in Alta Badia racing slalom. And then Tuesday, it's night slalom time in Madonna di Campiglio. So it's a hectic time, which is maybe what you're talking about with Pantero going, I don't need to do another race. I've got plenty coming up before yeah. Christmas. But yeah. it's going to be a pretty brutal schedule. Yeah, it's a feast before we all have our own feasts around the table. Um, and uh, the weather forecast looks good. Snow is good. Um, everything, I think a lot of the resorts will have learned from the uh, small errors that Courchevel made with peace preparation. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a fabulous uh, sort of pre-Christmas uh, set of races. Uh, very, very, very exciting. And, and it's so good that we're... Uh, Val d'Isere OK Peace is a good test for the, for the ladies, where we were with the men mm -hmm. this this con week, this past weekend, and I think to get back on the classics of Val Gardena, yeah, now we're talking. You know, it's it's yeah, warm up. We're, we're here now. Yeah, I mean that that schedule looks like it's more feasible being in lockdown, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. But yeah, I'm with you, Nick. I think the women racing in Val d'Isere is gonna be a good, a really good test. There's a lot more snow now. Let's hope that it hardens up a little bit in terms of all that fresh snow gets compacted down a little bit and we can see some some a bit a bit more a bit more speed behind it a bit more tricky conditions maybe yeah. just to push the envelope a little bit because it's downhill right yeah no exactly and that tunnel jump can be tricky um, and at the top, um, the women don't go right to the top, so they don't have to take in the wall and, and the columban jump. But carousel is a lovely tough turn uh, for the ladies. Um, then through the meadows, no, it, it'll be a good, be a good test. But I know who's going to win. Oh, you, if you want to go, you know, go with the kick us right off, the Nick. predictions. There, yeah, let's go straight in, Nick. Let's get in the deep end here. Right. So we've got uh, double downhill. Double downhill. So as we've been discussing. The Swiss are the most prepared team in the early part of the season. And Corinne Suter 
is going to nail them both. Double double suitor. Yeah. Super G. And you know why? Because yeah, yeah. she picked up some giant slalom points today. In First Portugal. time. First time ever. And that tells me that she's absolutely confident with her technique. Turning the skis. And uh, it's nice, really. And I think she'd probably be on the podium in the Super G as well. So why not? Let's go for Colin. Full, full suitor. Yeah. Suits you. Um, Marcel, you're probably just going to pick the favourites as you normally do. Actually, I, I've, I've thought a lot about it. And I think... I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Brignone from one downhill. Wow, no, that would be great. I'm gonna go with um, your first one. Yeah, first one okay. Brignone. Second one, I go with Nina Ortlip. Yeah. And Back on the, a little niggle. And on the super G, I go with Marta Bassino. Wow. All right. That's I a nice. That'll be good. I think she that, will be good at it. Are you now like overconfident because you're leading the podcast prediction? Well, I week? mean, I, I didn't do very well last time or this weekend, but. I got an eight yeah, five fair, points. That's good. Yeah, but to be fair, <laughs> nobody picked up any points in the, in the men's downhill. No. Um, so, yeah, that was a full zero. Literally nobody. There's about hundred people playing, and nobody got any points. That was I mean, sixty-six to one with the bookies was out. That would have been a good really? one. Oof. Um, I love this one, Marcel, um, because obviously, as we all know, Nina's father. Patrick won the Olympic downhill in Val d'Isère in 1992. For the stories, for the newspaper men, that is just going to be a front page headline that yep. you can't resist. So if Nina does the business, she's a lovely lady as she well. She is absolutely lovely and she is such a fine skier as well. You know what? She had so many injuries, yeah. always came back. She's a fighter and I think she would deserve to win. She won, I think, last Last year, one yeah. race. First uh, race yeah. Was it Latouille? Does she win Latouille? I can't remember which one. I can dig it out. Well, and she has no fear. She has no fear. She doesn't care. Yeah, she like a dad. Right. Just like a dad. Good but good. what a story, you know. Have you, I have actually rewatched that race on the Fast de Belvoir when he won. Oh yeah. my God, that was that was tough skiing right there. And he wasn't he wasn't well known for having a lot of good turns, but he was he was smashing that race. Yeah, when bib number one, I commentated it. I was a pretty young commentator then, and. Re- couldn't really get too excited about the first year to finish the Olympic downhill. But as it started unfolding and unfolding, and then fortunately the director um, from the Olympic Broadcasting, OBS, they're called Olympic Broadcast Services, he then started realising that Patrick had done something special and started replaying his run more and more. And then you could see that he'd taken a line that nobody, they were frightened of yeah. on the Faster Belvard because we all know how gnarly that is. Um, I'm going to go for, um, it's tricky. You know that you need some really good picks because you're very far behind right now. Uh, yeah, just thank, to, just thank to remind you. you. Thank you, Marcel. You're soon to be far behind when I actually enforce these negative points. For you. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Ledesca for one of them. Ooh, that would be great. She picked up a, a snowboard, snowboard World Cup win <laughs> just the a other day. One. So yeah. just, just pick that one up. So... I'm going to go with Ledecker for the first one. That would be great. Uh, and the second one, I, I, I was going to go with Suter, and my backup was Ortley, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go a little bit lower down. Schmidhofer. Yeah, nice. Schmidhofer for that, um, and then for the Super G, I'll go Brunoni. I think she's going to be still. I think that's a good shout for the Super G as well. She I will think. be on top. It's. I think it's going to be tight racing. Lara Gubrami started skiing well again. Absolutely good call. So also excited to see what Vlahova is doing in Super G. Mm-hmm. Maybe Schifrin is doing it as well. I don't know if she does, but could also be very interesting. I'm not sure. I 
I'm not sure we're going to see much of Schifrin this season on the speed ski. She said about how she didn't have any time on them over the summer thanks yeah. to COVID. So I think when she's potentially... Well, she's definitely not as confident as she normally is. Maybe it's not the time to be. The only thing that know, would maybe. tempt me if I was Mike Day, who's one of the coaches, the only thing that would tempt me to put her in the Super G was to just run a bit of high speed to help her giant slalom yeah. Yeah. technique. A little bit of speed skiing can often help the giant slalom uh, sort of skills. Um, so I'd be tempted to put her in the Super G. Um, but uh, I see your point clearly. Yeah, she's... Uh, only just starting to find full confidence in slalom and giant slalom, so Super G and downhill must be a long way away. Yes, um, it's. I, I hope. I mean, I'd like to. She's she's one of the best Super G skiers and downhill skiers. Yep. that there is. We, all we, the skiers all that, yeah. in general. So yep. uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, men's speed. Val Gardena. I love that place. Mm. It's from a from a racing perspective. It's one of the most fun on the tour, um, but it's also one of the most iconic. I, I think it's brilliant, and I'm really looking forward to what I'm really hoping is for hard conditions. Mm. Nice weather, not a weather-affected race, and not that... Not, I just want to caveat the not a weather-affected race because we, there's been a bit of... You know, you see on social media, people complaining about, oh, the race got faster in, in Val d'Isere, and you know the, the guys at the front of the field didn't get a good crack of the whip they get a good crack of the whip but it's not every sport. single every single world cup there is yeah. they get the best conditions so they can deal with yeah with other conditions no muscles hit the nail on the head it's a winter sport and everybody knows and um, i don't know whether you saw the interview at the weekend with uh, kilda when he said the interviewer said to kilda the world number one not a great day for you in the super g in val d'isere and he turned around and said but norway got one on the podium and that's what it's about. So the big guys know that when it's one of those races, you know, I've got 10 downhills, so let's not panic. When it's yeah. one of those races where Mother Nature puts a little bit of sunshine in a particular part of the piece and speeds it up, then take your chance. Yeah. Have it, lads. And I don't think the big guys really mind at all because no. it's happened in Val Gardena as well. Yeah, that sun comes around. That the sun comes, comes around. around then it gets it? quicker. Yeah. And it comes around the sass long and all of a sudden you get to number 40 and then this guys start getting in there. And of course, those guys know yeah. that there's a history like that that yeah. belongs to this racetrack. And that's one of the special key factors. Combine that with Cheslat which is m built more for motocross motorbikes yeah. than it is for <laughs> ski racing. And that Cheslat for me is one of the USPs of the race. And uh, you shouldn't miss Friday and Saturday in Val Gardena. And my uh, telephone tells me it's going to be blue skies and cold. Yes. Ooh, we like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, picks. Yeah, yes. this is great, isn't it? Because... This is a very, very different race to a shortened Super G in Val d'Isere and a very soft snow race in Val d'Isere. Different skills, different course. Um, and I think you will see the big names, the experienced guys and the guys who will have forgotten about Val d'Isere already come to the fore. You've got to be looking at the established names. If we get a big upset, it will only be because of the sun and it'll be in the 50s or the 60s. I think the names that we all know and like to hear will be the podium performers. I think it's tough to get away from Kilda in the Super Jeep, um, and he knows that his uh, Super Jeep, it's got to be one of the toughest Super Gs of the season going down the downhill track of uh, 
Valgodena. And then I think into the downhill, then, do you know what? I think Matthias Meyer's going to do it. And he, he and he's got a, a ghost to lay to rest there because if you remember, he had a nasty back he injury did. there yeah, he did. not too long ago. So he's got something to prove to himself more than anybody else. And I think Matthias Meyer could be the guy that comes waltzing in there. You can never write off Biat Foyt's did you see him on the telly? He's got a beer belly bigger than mine. He's unbelievable. You know, maximum efficiency, but with the minimum of effort. And he's just away. So I think Foytz is going to be in there. Kilder's going to be there. I, I will eat my words happily, but I don't see we're going to see the young kids turning over the big names okay. this Friday and Saturday. I agree with you. Not this time. Um, I'm actually going with Kriegmeier because I thought he was, he was skiing... He was skiing pretty well. He was maybe a bit overpowering, but he will be back. And I think he's on the Super G. He's definitely strong. And he won it last year. And he, he won he it did. in style. Yeah, yeah, so I think he's he's up for that. And the downhill, I'm actually going for Dominic Paris. I think he's uh, good, good he history, has a history yeah. of, of good races in, in Gröden. And he's obviously coming back from injury as well. But he looked solid. And he has definitely the power and the weight to go down there. That's good words. I think if Dominic Paris wins in Valverdena, they'll be breaking the doors down in the bars <laughs> to celebrate. Yeah, because, that's true. Uh, he's a big, he's a big name over there. I am going to, I'm going to say Caviezel for Super G. That would be a good story, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think he's he's so consistent. He's shown that that injury isn't playing a part in his psyche. Mm-hmm. So consistent, attacking, smooth. Aggressive, yeah, uh, and I'm going to say Kriegmeier for the downhill. Wow. Um, I just think I, I, I don't know. I just don't want to. I'm not sure I want to pick Foyts again. Uh, to well, be honest, he looked his touch looked very lovely, solid as ever. It was just not his race, and it yeah. was none of those races. None of uh, not the race for any of those guys. But he looked like he's back back on track. I mean, he. He's not the fittest guy, and as you you quite rightly said on on the on the TV, you said he's not the fittest guy, on the, or not the strongest guy, but he has the best touch. And yeah. I mean, he won the downhill World Cup for how many times now? Three times. Uh, what else is there to say, right? Yes, yeah. He's gonna. He's a he, he again another role model for a different reason. <laughs> well, <laughs> it doesn't he, matter what you look like again. Yeah, he, and, and as Marcel touched on earlier with Petra Vlahova, you don't have to be a big brute. To be a ski racer, you know, as long as you've got the skills, you work on your drills, you can be tiny, you can be big, fat, thin or small and still win on the tour. But that's the magic of ski racing, isn't it? Like you don't, you can't say you need this shape to be fast. Like you can be small, you can be tall, you can be tiny, you can be big. Like it doesn't matter. Absolutely. It doesn't matter. Giant slalom. We move over to Alta Badia. It's a tough race. That piece is not easy. Um... It's quite long as well. There's lots of terrain. Chuck's pretty much the kitchen sink at you. Um, just want to touch very briefly, but we're not going to go in, into it too much. But our thoughts are going out to Jan Kranjek, who's dealing with an incredibly difficult time. His father passed away unexpectedly uh, earlier in last week. Um, and don't know if he's racing we hope that he's doing okay the best he can in what is a, a, a horrific scenario. Yeah, very sad for Jean, especially with uh, Slovenian skiing at an all-time high after their win in the downhill. And he really is the the number one of Team Slovenia. Um, yeah, Very, very sad and 
if Jean or anybody of his friends or family are listening into us right now, please accept our deepest condolences. Very sad. Uh, Marcel, we'll go to you first. What What do you think for a pick for the giant slalom? Is I, it going to be Pantero? It, it oh, will be Pantero this time. No, it will be because he had a really good result in Super G, probably <laughs> unexpectedly. He was very close to the podium, not to the win, but to the podium in in, um, in the last GS. And I think it suits him a lot better there. It's it's tough. Like He skis very consistently. It's probably going to be really tricky conditions. Light, there is no light on that race. You can't see anything. So I think he will be he will be on top of this game on that race. Did you like racing there? Actually, funny enough, I did. Um, I was never that quick there, but um, it was like with the crowd usually and and like the history of that race. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, the whole the whole race is just. I mean, it has made so many histories in in ski racing. So it was definitely my favorite one. Yeah, for 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 the races, it's often described as the holy grail of giant slalom yeah. races, uh, muscles hit it on the head. Uh, you also touched on it, Ed, it's tough, it's icy, but it's got a history. It's one of the few giant slaloms on the tour that have been there since we started. So their first GS was when the first World Cups come to Europe in 68, and it has been there every year. They've also moved with the times and developed this parallel GS, which is trading places for a slalom this year uh, because of the adapted calendar. So it, it's a big one. Altabadia. I think for a giant slalom racer like Marcel, it's one of the ones. It's like a kids' meal for a downhiller. This is a big one. I mean, you have those few races, right? You have like Adelboden, Altabadia. Like those are the races you want to be on top when you get into like that massive crowd at the bottom. Like everyone is cheering. That's where you want to be on on top of your game. It's fantastically successful. It's double the prize money sometimes. I'm not sure what the prize money is this year. But in years gone by, you get 45,000 Swiss francs for a win. You get 90 if you win Altabadia. And of course, then you look at, through history, Stenmark, Tomba. Then it goes through, and then the Ligeties, and then the big Italian skiers, uh, you know, the Bladonis, the Simoncellis, and you keep going through all of these guys, see it as their Italian Cup final. Um, so it, it, it's, it brings a little bit of extra pressure, um, and it's a tough one to pick. But my pick for the, the, the giant slalom, I'm with Marcel all the way on his Pantalo pick, because he's solid he's, he's made no big mistakes yet this season but I think the lad who will win it is a lad who doesn't really understand what it is the lad that I think might cause the surprise is he's young so he doesn't really give her stuff for all that tradition and old school and it's of course Marco Odomat and Marco Odomat is a very polite young lad but he's not going to get caught up in the emotion of the big holy grail of the mm -hmm. giant slums, which you can. Um, and I was lucky to race there in the 80s, and I think I made five gates. Um, <laughs> you, you can't even... It's a, pretty, it's a pretty tough five gates, to be fair, that. And that is a tough five you gates. Can't, <laughs> you can't inspect it. The side-slipping is the most scary part of the day, yeah. because it is like that I, tape. I have a funny anecdote about that. I was actually my first GS in Altavidia, that's like a long time ago, but I was sliding down, and it was the iciest thing I have ever seen in my life. And there was Antje Kostelic, already very, very, I wouldn't say old, but yes, he was old already. <laughs> <laughs> and he tried to slip down sideways, and he slipped all the way into the net. He couldn't hold himself. It was the iciest race I've ever skied on. Unbelievable. Brilliant. Brilliant. Odomat for me. Odomat. Right. 
I, I, I found this really tricky, and I think GS is maybe the most tricky to try and call at the moment because it's so close. I think circumstances being differently, I, different, I would have chosen Kranjek because mm -hmm. that technique that he's got is so solid, picture perfect. He's the one of the prettiest yeah. giant slalom skiers to watch. Um, and obviously, don't know what's, what his I don't scenario. Think and I don't think, yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. I don't think he'll be there. So do I think it's going to be Christofferson's day? No, I don't think it's going to be his day. Um, what about I, the young Croatian? What do you think of Filip Zubcic? I, that's where my that's where my money is. Yeah, I'm going to go famous. Zubcic. He yeah. he's got again a really nice style of skiing. It's very dynamic. It's going to be slick, as it always is there. And I think he's got a really solid position and that extension and that sort of that drive to go down the piste. I think he's got he's got a good move. I'd like to see Tommy Ford back up mm -hmm. uh, that result, but. He, for me, maybe slightly too casual in terms of. Uh, I feel the problem on, on that race is that you need to close the turns, and I feel like Tommy Ford is very, very good when the turns are very open. He can literally like go from turn into turn. So but in Alta yeah, Badia, style, yeah. you have to like you have to hammer the ski down at some point because you will not have enough space. Yeah, and I'm not sure if he's right there when it comes to that, but I hope he can surprise us. But I think Zubjic is a good call because these young kids now, you know, they, they really do tear up the mountain. Zubjic, Odomat, you know, they're, they're saying this is the new way now, not the old style. We've, we've had our picks, but what, what are you guys making of Gino, caveat cell? Yeah, he, he's good. He, he, he's um, like the Swiss, very well prepared, excellent pre-season training, disciplined. I'm told that the coaches are trying to calm him down a little bit bit like they did with Marco Odomatic, he was a little bit too wild and a little bit too. And they go, just drop it down from sixth to fifth and then just... And then when you feel you're in the last third of your chance, then go into turbo instead of turbo from the Stargate. And therefore it becomes forced errors. So I think um, Gino uh, Caviezel just needs to calm it down a little bit. But uh, I'm sure Marcel's going to say, no question of a doubt, lovely touch on his skis, very dynamic very quick with his recovery skills and um, he's going to be hungry because his brother's just won one hasn't he yeah. so yeah i mean he, uh, he has to he has to keep up with him right uh, but on the other hand it's probably quite tricky as well i would assume and i'm yeah off the back of the dnf in remind me where we were with gino san santa catarina santa catarina just he didn't adapt very well to the conditions he, he skis towards the end of the turn a bit on his inside as he's looking to try and get that clean arc in transition um, and didn't adapt to the fact that when it's soft snow you, you can't do that because mm. you don't have that platform underneath you so if it's nice and hard I don't know he was so good in uh, in Solden, in Solden yeah. wasn't he he yeah, really yeah. was so it's, it, 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 he, it could be it could be my concern with Gino is he gets caught in the emotion of the Holy Grail, you know. It's, it's, I mean, he's been around for a little while as well. He's not one of these new kids on the block, is he? No, he's I mean, he's done a fair few starts. It's now. the cup final, really, for the giant slalom skiers, Alta Badia, and and that brings a whole set of extra emotions and possibly more distractions. They tend to overthink it in Alta Badia, yeah. and and that's the problem because it is such a big event if you're a giant slalom specialist, and you know, giant slalom is the core of all alpine ski racing. So you say. I'm a downhill, I've won Kitzbühel, credit. I'm a GS skier and I've won Alta Badia, credit. 
I don't want to lean myself too much out of the window here, but I think Altabidi is going to be the most important race for for a GS gear in the season. Not because it's the Holy Grail, also because of that, but this is like you need to have a good result in Altabidi if you want to win the title. Yeah, because like, we've had a few GSs already. Because now, it's we? like there are a couple Almost more halfway. races, yeah. but now like if you have a good position going into the new year, like that's crucial. Slalom. Where, where are you at? I think that's really tough to judge because it's obviously the first race, so we don't know. I mean, I am actually going with Christofferson for the slalom because I think his season wasn't very good so far. Mm-hmm. He might have have invested a lot of time in slalom training. I don't know. We know, we we all don't know, but I saw some videos. He looked pretty solid, um, so I'm going with him. Um, I was very impressed with Daniel Yule putting his giant slalom skis yes. on in Santa Catarina. And again, this is my old coaching ways. I think it's important for slalom skiers to ski at speed. And for Daniel, in his second attempt in Santa Catarina, to earn World Cup giant slalom points in a high-speed GS like Santa Catarina will really help his flow with his slalom racing. And we can see clearly that the Swiss team are all very well prepared early season. And so for me, my tip is... uh, Daniel, you'll just a shame he's not racing for Britain, he's racing for Switzerland, because he's as <laughs> we'll, British as you and me. We'll get him one day. We will. We'll get him one day. You, um, have, you have a good guy. Uh, yeah, we d- definitely do. Definitely do. Um, my, I was indecided uh, over Yule or Noel, mm. and you went Yule, so I'm going to go Clem and Noel. I yeah. think he's going to be pretty fired up still about losing yeah. the slalom tour by a point, wasn't it? Was it a point? I'm pretty sure it was a point. One or two. Yeah. But he was also doing well in the um, in the last GS race. He was skiing as well. He didn't make the cup, but he was still skiing pretty well. So it's also important, right, to have like a race in before you start yeah. the slalom season. I think that's so. that's an advantage. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's how many times we talked about it last season extensively about these guys that only race one discipline they've got nine shots at it and they don't do anything else or whatever they got ten shots and they don't do anything else and then all of a sudden it's like well how are you supposed to bring your top you know your top level when you're not doing it that often it's interesting that Marcel says getting an early race under your belt before you go into your favorite discipline uh, can help but I'm sure the British number one Dave Riding is fully aware of He's been in the game a long time now. He's a very, very experienced slalom racer. He knows that British ski racers tend to come to their peak a little bit older. It takes us a little bit longer. Um, And I think what Dave has done quite cleverly as part of his pre-race prep, I haven't spoken to him for a while, but quite a bit of time uh, chatting uh, in the summer, is that he's starting to get rid of all of the distractions, the things that can put him off his game Um, and obviously equipment has been a distraction in the past, he seems much happier there. Um, And I think that if the stars all align, which they can do, and um, I think Dave could uh, have a a strong start to the season, there's absolutely no reason why he cannot go out there and podium. There's absolutely no reason, and he should be telling himself this, there's absolutely no reason why he shouldn't go out there and smash the rest of the world into or out of the field of play. Well, on, on that note, he is my pick for Madonna. Yeah. Dave is my pick for the win for Madonna. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've had a few, 
I did have a few words with him earlier today. I did tell him that I was going to choose him for the win because Dave's <laughs> been playing along. He's doing okay on the predictions league. So he's been playing along week by week. Um, but yeah, he said that he's enjoying his skiing at the moment. He's dropped straight back into the Fisher way of things. He's feeling confident. He said that everything's not yet clicking every single time all of the run but the building blocks he's been skiing really well in, in diff, all the different pieces that make up a slalom run and it's just about putting those all together now so that that's my pick for great I hope so good words um, Marcel the piece for slalom in Altabadia I mean it's not very challenging there are lots of rollers there's like the big couple rollers at the bottom but it is I, th- I would say it's not up there with the difficult races in the slalom circuit. So there might be also someone who's really good on flats, like um, Daniel Yule is really good on flats. And like there are other couple of guys who, who can really accelerate very quickly. Norwegians, who would be, Norwegians have got good feet on the Yeah, like Sebastian F- so, so, Fosselberg. Yeah, and, um, exactly. Lord Botten. But so is Dave Riding. Yeah. He is. He is in, in good on that one. And so I'm thinking that Madonna, yes, but there's, Dave could get a really good start because it's not the most difficult if you roll and flow with the piece and that dry slope experience gives you very fast feet on straight parts of courses. I was speaking to Jai, one of Dave's coaches in the summer, and when the calendar came out, he said, what do you think the odds are for Dave to be leading the slalom tour standings <laughs> by the new year? Yeah. I mean, there's, two, there's two races that do yeah. suit. He's got rid of Val d'Azur. Thankfully, that for him, that's off the calendar. Yes, that's uh, actually a lot of people probably are happy to get that off yeah, the calendar. Yeah, apart from apart from Panzer. Yeah, he. <laughs> um, Nick, who is your choice for Madonna slalom? Now, Madonna slalom again. I, I I think that we should take a lot of the form from the result of Altabadia. The slalom skiers. Uh, they're like sprinters. They're they're like five furlong horses. They're fast twitch. Uh, they're very so. Once you've settled with a good result in that first race, the story tends to go um, with those guys. If you've DNF'd on the first or the second run in the opening slalom of the season, then those gremlins start to creep into your head. If you're a slalom skier, remember these are the fastest moving, quickest turning skiers in the world but they are very sensitive characters. So I think you'll see that the winner in Madonna will come out of the top five from uh, Altabadia. And again, um, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody like uh, Daniel Yule uh, starts to roll them off. And you see it with the slalom skiers. Once they're in, they're then in. they go. And they get another one. And they get another one. And you have to be careful because they can run away with it really, uh, really quickly. So double for me, Daniel Yule. Double Yule. Marcel? I mean, I agree with everything you said. Um, but I'm going to go f- for Pintero because I think he's very solid. Um, he, was, he had a very solid season. First win in slalom for five years last year. And his technique is, is pretty good there. Um, yeah. But... As you said, like the slalom, literally, it's gonna go bang, 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 and then you're end of end of January, and you had seven slalom races or six slalom races. That's crazy. You know who Dave also told me to look out for? A little insider tip: Pertle. He, he said Dave said one. he is skiing really quickly at the yeah. moment. Yeah, that's that interesting. That's what he said. He said, uh, "Keep your eyes peeled for that young man." It'd be nice to see is some youngsters. How old is he? He is, I think, is he that young? he's mid twenties, I think. Yeah. But he um, obviously is a great skier, and I think technique wise if you look at him 
he's not the classic Austrian at the moment. He mm. has a, he skis a different way, and I, I do like that about him. And they probably haven't changed much, much with him ever since. So I think he has a really good chance. And obviously last year in, in Chamonix, when he came third, second, third, I think. Yeah. That was pretty impressive. So I'm, I'm hoping he can he can kind of go from there. And also Matt, those guys, they, they're always on, on good form. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? There's going to be so many unanswered questions. We've got a week to wait until we know. Well, exactly. And, and, and I think that there's a lot of pressure on the slalom races because, as you quite rightly say, they come fast and quickly. Mm. And they really have bundled them up. Yeah, before and you know it, it's done. We'll have a slalom World Cup champion before the World Championships in February. Um, and, 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 and therefore, if we're talking about that, you can guarantee the coaches yeah. are talking about that and you can guarantee that the athletes are thinking about that. So consistency will be key for the slalom skiers this season and you've got to be in there early and because by the time we're at the end of January, there's only the World Cup finals, probably two left after January. Yeah, isn't it's, also, it's also the guys who are in the, in the mix for the overall World Cup, like how much do they risk in a slalom, you know? Like how much... Push, do I push on that slalom? Because if Christofferson wants to win the overall World Cup, he can't afford to go out. Yes, no can be Good words. So how much can they push for it? Um, and be ready for a very, very tight top 30. Mm. Because you, yeah. you, you won't be able to make a mistake. The big guns won't be able to make a mistake and expect to get a second. Definitely less than two seconds. Oh, I, I would not be surprised if it's under a second and a half for a top 30. I really wouldn't. I would totally agree. There are 11 slaloms here. Um... And of course, I mean, look at this. I didn't realize we do Italy, Altabadia, Madonna di Campiglio. Then we go Zagreb. Four days later, Adelboden. Five days later, Wengen. A week later, Kitzbühel. Two days later, Schladming. And then four days later, a double in Chamonix. It's done. Then Bam. it's done. Yeah. You, the chap, the, the, the uh, globe will be done by January. Yeah. And so it's important. You know, it, 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 it's. Uh, it's a fascinating um, season, really. And, uh, and I think also what's fascinating for so many of the races, these doubles as well, these double-up races, two slaloms in Chamonix, you're just making life very easy for that guy who did the business on, on the first yeah. day just to press autopilot on the second day. I always like that. I think the double races are really interesting because you can exactly see, like, on the first day, everyone is a bit like, mm, what's going to happen? And on the second day, they, like, they really go for it, as yeah. you could say in Santa Catarina. And also, like, what are the coaches doing? Like, how is the training? How are they prepared? Because they need to be prepared by next week. Mm. And how are they, like, are they starting early or maybe a bit later for slalom skiers because they have more time to get ready? It's all going to be very interesting to see. It'll be some good stories. Definitely worth watching. And uh, so just before we go, Marcel, you will be very happy to know that you are leading <laughs> the Ski Racing Podcast Predictions League in association with Powderhound. Those mugs might be coming. I'm, that's what, I'm using my mug when I think about my predictions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have taken the lead out right now. Finally. Um, but only by a single point over Mr. Malcolm Erskine. It, it doesn't matter. Malcolm, you, I know you're coming for me, but hey, if you're 100 in front, you win. You still win, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, yeah, you're going from strength to strength. I feel like you may have put it on the line slightly with Panther and the Slalom there. I might have, but if he, if he podiums, I'll still get one exactly. point. Exactly, yeah, that's very true. So, yeah, I need to up my game. <laughs> Finding myself way too low down when I start scrolling. <laughs> to keep, keep going, keep going. Um, but yeah, thanks very much, Nick. 
Thanks for coming again. Thank you. And just let all of your listeners know every one of the races that we're talking are live on Eurosport. Yeah. On both our app and digital platform. And of course on the TV. Look forward to seeing everybody there. You can find us there. Make sure you give us a like, give us a follow and uh, let us know how you're getting on. Marcel, Nick, thanks very much. Till next time. Goodbye. <laughs>